With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's already done. It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked on Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast, where we are transforming Tuesdays spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and my co-host for the month of January is school psychologist Capriche White, Minister Margot Williams, who's also an educator. And today we have with us Jamie Devine, president of the South Carolina School Boards Association. And so for the month of January, education is going to be our topic, but today we're going to talk about the state of education in South Carolina. So I want to start off with um, you, Minister Margot. Thank you so much for being on the show, and I want to give you an opportunity to tell the listeners a little about yourself. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Margot Williams, and I am an educator, meaning that I am a classroom teacher of middle school students. I am a transformational life coach and mentor. I'm a minister and also an author. And for today, I guess I just want people to know um, mainly that education was a field that was a later um choice or decision in my life, but it's something that I always wanted to do because I had the privilege of being able to be educated by some phenomenal people in my community as well as in my family and my schools. So thank you so much for allowing me to share. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and welcome. Um, next, I want to go to school psychologist Carisha White. Give us some of your back, give some background on yourself. Good evening. I'm Capriche White. I am currently in my fourth year as a school psychologist, so I am a novice to the field, still learning and growing every day. Education has always been a passion of mine since probably elementary school. I was born and raised in Charleston, South Carolina, and just coming from Charleston County, just a big district in a diverse district, um, it's always been my goal to help children as well as families reach their fullest potentials no matter the obstacles so thank you for having me thank you thank you and mr jamie devine um thank you for coming on the show and i want you to 
let the listeners know. Give us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, and thank you for um, having me here. Uh, I am Jamie Devine, president of the South Carolina School Boards Association. Um, I serve on the local Richardson School District 1 uh, school board uh, for the past 13 years and looking forward to um, finishing out a term. I just got reelected in November of 2020. Uh, also, I am president and CEO of a local regional nonprofit community assistance provider where we deal with housing and economic development uh, in, throughout the region. Um, father of uh, four beautiful children, um, Tamia, who is 16, and Jade, who is 11, and Jameson, who is four. And we have uh, James Henry, who was born into heaven uh, in 2014. He's no longer with us, but uh, we do keep his name out there as well. And married to the beautiful uh, former councilwoman Tamika Isaac Devine, and who is uh, readjusting and making some things happen um, for her um, in in her life, and so I'm pleased uh, to be here uh, as well. Okay, well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, well, you know, I see here we have a caller, but before we we do that, um, get to the caller. So, caller, please stand by for me. Um, you know. I definitely want to say thank you to all of the educators. Um, the children are truly our future, but without the educators giving them the foundation that they need, we wouldn't have anything. You know, um, I feel like as, you know, I, I'm a grandmother. Um, my children, I'm a product of, of Richland District 1. Um, and so I have a grandson that's also in District 1 right now currently. Um, but I feel like this is something that is near and dear to my heart because the community, we have to find a way to get everyone back involved in this. You pay taxes, you are paying to whichever district that you are in, that tax money go to these schools. And if we don't take a vested interest in our children and they end up just out here walking around, you know, so we have to figure out a way to help the educators, help the teachers be more involved, even with the school board, even if you don't have a child directly in school right now, you know, we all have a vested interest here, you know. And so my goal this month is to get the community more involved um, by having the, this open dialogue like this so that we can begin to understand and to start moving in a more positive direction. Um, you know, and I know with COVID going on and everything, it has truly, truly, truly been a strain on everyone. And so with that, um, I want to ask you one question, Jamie, and then um, allow Minister Margot and Capriche to say whatever they need to say, and then we're going to go to the caller that we have. But um, being that we're still in this pandemic, because we're truly not out of it, um, how do you plan on assisting the district with bridging the gap of learning loss from COVID-19? And I'm saying district, but all of the schools, what, what are you guys as the board, what are your plans? How, how are we going to bridge this gap? Thank you um, for that question, Tara. Um, one thing that we do, um, and I'm speaking from a local perspective, is that in Richmond School District 1, uh, we received about um, – uh, $78 million to assist with the uh, COVID relief through ESSER 3, 
And with that funding, there are 17 different buckets um, that um, that the monies can come from. And so with that, of course, PPP, um, uh, a number of dollars have been spent on that. Uh, we also purchased some other items that we needed to ensure that the classrooms are safe, i.e., um, um, we've got, of course, sanitizers, the mask, um, and, and so we also have some programs that we purchased as well. In addition to that, we're also looking to um, continue to train our staff um, in SEL, which is social emotional learning, uh, to basically embed that in our curriculum because we know at some point um, uh, this will end, the pandemic will, will end, but if we embed um, social emotional learning uh, within, the, within our curriculum, um, that is um, one way to continue um, with what's happening now. Also, we have set aside um, monies, I don't know the exact dollar amount, to hire additional um, social workers, uh, school psychologists, uh, mental health counselors um, as needed. Um, our issue that we have right now, as many districts across the state and really across the country, is that we don't have um, a lot of um, mental health professionals out there who are knocking on the door to come into our schools, um, again, not just in Richland 1, but across the state and across the nation. And so a number of our, so we're uh, being creative in what we're doing by, uh, again, uh, providing that, um, that embed, providing the mental health piece um, within our uh, curriculum is one way. Also, we're looking at, you know, how do we retain and, and recruit at the same time um, the best and brightest um, that's out there. We're all competing for the same um, staff, and so we want to make sure that we are just a little different uh, from everybody else and making sure that we uh, continue to um, promote those persons that are with us and then mm -hmm. uh, bring in new people um, and onboard them to our Richland One Way um, and so, and, and every school district is doing it in their own way, whether it's, it's incentives such as bonuses, um, whether it is um, extra um, things that they may do. Again, they get paid for those additional duties um, as, as well. We're also bringing in the community. Um, and I think this piece is so important, particularly with mentorship. We do know that because of COVID, we have to be real careful about visitors coming to our schools. But if we can ask those visitors to um, come in who are vaccinated uh, to come in and help us with our students, um, that would be uh, a great thing. And so we're looking forward to at some point in the near future, hopefully when Omicron um, um, variant is not as rampant, uh, get our community back into our schools to help us with those students that may have some challenges that we see from, from day to day. And so those are just a few things that, that we're looking at right now. And again, mm -hmm. we're one of the districts that um, have some resources um, and some financial backing to make that happen. But those in our rural districts, um, we, we're uh, from a state perspective uh, now, we're, we're um, assisting them uh, through some COVID dollars through the state as well to help them also to uh, participate, get participants from the community to come in and also help those rural districts um, as well with some, with some student challenges that they may have as well. It, it, it's funny because you actually hit across um, one of the questions that I was going to um, engage you in about the psychologists, counselors, social workers. Um, so because you actually kind of 
open that up as well. Um, Capriche, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to let you maybe address um, the need for um, psychologists and actually um, you can engage about COVID or whatever your response may be for Mr. Devine. Absolutely. Psycho school psychologists are definitely needed in the schools as well as mental health professionals mm -hmm. and also professionals of color. Um, are greatly needed. One thing that I will say is being a school psychologist, we have training in counseling and mental health. However, that is not our primary role. We're most so focused on testing and assessments for special education services. However, I wanted to ask you, Mr. Devon, how do you guys plan to provide our general education teachers with supports and trainings that they need to handle students experiencing the effects of the pandemic, simply because, <clears throat> excuse me, this pandemic has induced a lot of anxiety, not only on our teachers, but on our students, and just not the students requiring special education services. Mm -hmm. I know that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is not a problem. So uh, what we see happening, and, and, and you hit the nail on the head, um, is is to help reduce um, some of those things that uh, that may be required, um, some of the uh, paperwork that may be required, um, some of the testing that may have been required in the past is to basically get back to allowing teachers to teach, um, reduce again some of the paper um, burdensome of, of of what teachers have to do on a daily basis. Um, as you know, I think in 2020, and I think it came back in 2021, you know, the federal tests were not given, and so, um, but the state tests were. And so we want to look at that. And also, you know, we have the benchmark testing uh, within, within the schools, mm -hmm. and sometimes we can, um, and I'm speaking from a board member's perspective, not necessarily administration, but from a board member's perspective, if we can not uh, – test students as much because we know every time a student is being tested, you know, they miss so much of instruction, so much of class time. And we know that that is so precious to our young people because they need to get as much instruction and as much um, class time as, as they can. So if we can somehow um, take the testing data, say, at the beginning of the school year and then teach them and then do a, a final test at the end of the year, um, would in my this is Jamie Devine talking in my opinion that should be a way to go but I will tell you uh, from a state's perspective uh, that is one of our um, legislative um, priorities um, for this year is to reduce um, standardized testing and also to measure student growth um, going mm -hmm. going going forward because we know that growth the growth model is the best model and not the absolute rating model, uh, which has hurt a number of our schools in the past. And so we want to continue to um, make sure that that growth model is where, um, is where we need to be. So I hope that answered your question. Did I answer your question, Capricia? Okay. Minister Margo. Okay. Yeah. You want to speak to um, what has been stated so far? Do you have a question for well, I'd like to say that um, both of them summed it up very well with how to bridge the gap or the needs. Mm -hmm. And as a classroom teacher, 
what I see so much is that we have to be careful to not throw everything in the zone with um, with the pandemic that we're experiencing. And the reason that I say that is we, as a community, as a, a nation, many times when something's going on, we pray, place so much attention or emphasis on it that we forget that some of these problems may have existed prior to whatever has been this major thing that's going on. And so what I have seen is that all of what um, the two of them have said is absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. But there's also what I believe what will help to bridge the gap. There needs to be true mentorship with um, families, with parents, Mm -hmm. with um, legal guardians in terms of mentoring them and how to truly encourage and coach their children to see themselves as doing their best all the time and the importance of education. Because many of the problems that I believe that we're experiencing today, they were problems, but I believe that they just revealed themselves in a broader sense Mm -hmm. because of this major pandemic that we're dealing with. And so I believe that all of what we're talking about is so, but I also believe that we must get back to that grassroots, knee-to-knee, eyeball-to-eyeball station that are kinetic in nature where we're not just talking about this, but let's see how we can practice certain behaviors so that we can help our children along. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um Jamie, would you like to respond, please? Mm-hmm. Yes. May I add to what um, what Minister Margo just said? And actually, she took one of my points, and I stopped a little short of it. We talked about um, um, uh, the just the future of, of where things are. You know, we also need to think about trauma-informed practices that a lot of school districts were doing prior to COVID. Um, mm-hmm. I know in Richmond one. Three, two, three, four years prior to COVID, um, we were doing training with the State Department of Mental Health to help our teachers and our staff with um, with the social emotional learning piece to help our students. And let me just give you four example. We want to get to it's, it's almost like your show. What is the root cause of what is happening? You know, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, "Oh, you have high blood pressure," but why do you have high blood pressure? You know, mm-hmm. and then and then the doctor prescribes some blood pressure medicine, but then you go back to the doctor a couple of months later and you still have, still have high blood pressure. But what's the root cause of the high blood pressure? Is it your diet? Is it that, you know, you can't, um, you can't, you can't continue to smoke, you know, is it something hereditary as far as uh, high blood pressure running in, the, in, in your family, which you really can't do much about, but there are some other mitigating things that you can do, you know, and so going back to what Minister Margo was saying, there are some things that were there before the pandemic, and the pandemic had just brought those things out. And so we're dealing with them because it's right in our face. And then the future is what do we do about those things on down the road, three, four, five, six years once we're out of the pandemic, and how do we handle some of those things? And so in my opinion, um, I think that we need to deal with 
some of the financial stability of some of these school districts across the state. And I'm, st- I'm speaking from a state level now because a number of our school districts got a, a uh, significant amount of money uh, to deal with COVID. As I shared with you earlier, we got about $78 million in ESSER three, which dealt with um, – with with uh, with the, with with COVID and the pandemic, and there's 17 ways to spend that money, or 17 buckets, if you will, uh, to spend that money. But my question becomes: okay, What do we do after the money goes go away? We still have to deal with ongoing budgets. We still have to deal with staff, reduce classroom sizes. You know, uh, embedding certain curriculum within the school district. Um, you know, for example, a lot of our teachers have gotten bonuses over the last couple of years. How do we sustain that? How do we, again, keep our staff and our teachers uh, retained and then also to recruit? You know, how do we, um, 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 again, move forward with some of the things that we have now, some of these programs that we're spending money on? Are these sustainable? You know, programs help a little bit um, when it comes to moving students and moving, um, moving the, the needle when it comes to grades, but it's really people our staff, our mm-hmm. teachers, who really, really and truly makes the difference. And so we've got to be careful about all these different programs that are being purchased and brought uh, by, you know, uh, or, or presented by various companies to say that I have the best program, no, I have the best program. But we do always do evidence-based and data-driven uh, information. And so we want to make sure that we continue that going forward because, again, at some point, the pandemic will end. At some point, these federal dollars will go away, and we're back to our normal budget, if you will. And so we have to make sure that we uh, plan for the future, but also deal with today at the same time. That's factual. Okay, we're going to go to um, – we have a caller that has been holding on. Um, so, caller, your last four – it's five three seven five. Call a five three seven five. You have a lot of you have a lot of background noise. Oh, okay. I'm moving to get away from it. I'm sorry. I apologize. Today is a special holiday. It would be my birthday, but I had to uh, attend this because I'm a retired educator with Richland One. I was a special ed teacher. Um, but. I want to know, Mr. Devine, and please do not take this as any, it's just no rhetoric because I'm a direct person. When you talk kids with emotional behavior, you learn to be direct. Um, As your position now, how much input can you have or say? Because I was, I really, it was sad to me that our children are reading two and three grade levels behind. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned curriculum and um, testing. From my education, from a special ed point of view, we had to do biweekly testing and to make sure the curriculum aligned. And I don't want you to say um, teaching to the test, but what, um, as your position now, and congratulations, what can we do or what do you have to say, what can you say? Or I, I don't want to use the word power, but in that position, how much say do you have to be able to open up administrators' eyes to understand we at a state of emergency right now. Literacy is very important, and that would include numeracy as well. So what, you know, I don't want you, I don't want to be dismissive and say, well, you holding, some prior people may have held that position and didn't really do anything. 
and it yeah. could be pol- politics as well. So I asked that question um, because you do have children, mm-hmm. and so and that is a great point that you can see the numbers and the testing. So how much sway or say are they going to allow you to have as the president now? So we have a legislative agenda uh, and re- legislative mm-hmm. uh, resolutions that we put out each year, and and in one of and in our uh, and in our legislative uh, resolutions, um, we talk about um, um, testing, uh, the need to reduce testing. Um, our organization, along with SCEA, along with SC for Ed, along with um, I, I was going is it PTSA PS Palmetto. Oh, I understand, yes. Right. So, state, yes. So, so, as a, so as a group, we meet together and we talk with our legislators to reduce, as I said earlier, to reduce this burdensome paperwork and to reduce standardized testing for our students. So I alone can't just say, hey, uh, Department of Education, you know, um, uh, Secretary Spearman, let's get this reduced. I don't have that kind of power, but I will go to the legislature and I will advocate along these other groups to let them know why we need to reduce standardized testing. Well, I um I don't understand the reason why we would reduce the testing because at this point, um, I guess assessment would be uh, if you assess more often, then you can see where the need will be. Because you don't want this student to get to testing time, and then we don't understand the information. And our curriculum doesn't align to the testing that they're taking, in my opinion. Well, it really doesn't align because the test scores are telling us. We got rid of Common Core curriculum, and I was very disappointed. Common Core teaches you to critical think. Now, Mm -hmm. I couldn't understand why would we get rid of Common Core, but our textbooks are Common Core. Right now, you have to do um, numbers, literacy with, you know, you got to be able to think in your head mm-hmm. numbers, and they are, you know, you start with the five, ten, just the basics, and they expand it. So I, I don't understand why would we do less testing, you know, at least bring in some more critical thinking. And I think if we did more assessment, we wouldn't have to worry about all the testing that they're giving. Because rigorous-wise, our kids can't stand up to a lot of other states. So, so testing-wise, and yes. No, I'm sorry. So I, was, I would agree with with that last part of your of your statement um, regarding the um, the assessments. Uh, you know, we have the formative assessments, and so um, those, uh, I believe, um, we have to report the formative assessments to the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, that's not the purpose of the formative assessments. Uh, but state tests, as you know, does not provide any type of diagnostic information. So the only way to get information is to do the assessments locally, just as you just stated. So I would agree with more of the assessments versus, because you know how back, back in the days, at least when I went to school, we used to take spelling tests. I used to take spelling tests every Friday, or I had a test every Friday to make sure that I knew the knowledge or had the knowledge or understood the content that was being taught to me. And then you lead up, you know, to take the big test, if you will, at the end of the nine weeks or at the end of the semester, um, depending on, the, you know, which class you were taking, whether semester or or quarter test, I mean, a quarter class. 
So I do agree with you having um, more assessments versus testing. Because some of this testing, um, in my opinion, is culturally biased. We need more culturally culturally relative um, testing. And then we also need to engage students in authentic learning experiences, you know, that will prepare students for the real world. Because sometimes, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, we take tests just to, for the sake of taking tests. You know, why? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we, we question our board, question staff, do we need this test? What is the purpose of this testing? Because, again, I'd rather for a child to get real-world experience uh, versus just taking a test or a teacher, as, as you said earlier, teaching to to a test. So we continue to hopefully will continue to go to more culturally, culturally relevant um, testing and then, of course, of course, again, engage students in authentic learning uh, experiences. Okay, and, and I like what you're saying. And I didn't, as a summer special ed teacher, um, we did um, diagnostic testing. Mm-hmm. If we do more assessment diagnostic, that will tell you and pinpoint where the problem lies with the child. And prior to testing, this, you know, shouldn't be a problem. Then if we do more diagnostics. Oh, um, I would, I would think so. And um, please, I don't want to um, take over. I'm so passionate about when you retire, we have so much thinking to do. And I yes, have my fellow educators here, so please, I don't want to just take up everything and um, from my other, my colleagues, my former colleagues, the counselor and the educator. So, I, as I say, I yield to my colleagues as well. Okay. Thank you so no, much I... for calling in, caller. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Um, I Minister am Margo. grateful that. Yes. I, I was going to ask Minister, Minister Margo um, because she's in the classroom, but then I, I hear you saying something, um, Capriche. So if you want to go ahead, you can. Yes. Um, I was glad that the caller actually brought that up about diagnostic testing, simply because we utilize standardized testing in the general education system to kind of pinpoint a child where they need to go. So, for example, in third grade, they have the big end-of-the-year test, and for some of the students, that kind of determines if they are retained or not, right? So we could have Mm -hmm. a child that's been struggling all year long, clearly needed intense level interventions, and just by God's grace, they passed that test by the skin of their teeth. Don't you know they'll, that child will go to the fourth grade but still have those struggles but not receive interventions based on that one score mm-hmm. from that test? Well, we have all the previous data, so mm-hmm. I don't think that we should utilize any one test as the end-all, be-all mm-hmm. for that child's future. Um, it should be diagnostic, but we don't get to the diagnostic level until we are at the point of special education. And why? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. all children need some level of intervention at some point, you know, through their matriculation. Very good. Minister Margo? Yes. I... Um, This is very sensitive to my heart because in the classroom, I happen to be a business education teacher. So our curriculum is classified under what's considered to be career and technical um, education. 
And so what we are doing is preparing children for high school, for the college experience, and the workplace. So when we get students in our classes, many of them are below grade level, one, two, or three um, years below grade level, where they are unable to read, perhaps they're unable to write effectively. All of these things are taken under consideration, and there is not, I agree with Capriche, there is not one test that is the end all for all of the situations that we're in. And I'm heartbroken because there are children who will go to be it promoted to the next grade and Mm -hmm. every teacher knows that this child is not ready and there are not enough interventions. Our school happens to have um, a couple of departments or, or classrooms where teachers are dedicated to helping these children to increase their, um, you know, their skills. But it really is not enough because there, right now there are so many children who classify or who fall in that, you know, in that area. And then the, the hardest component of it is to get sometimes parents to understand that their children need this type of intervention. And I know that sounds strange, but that is a challenge. So, you know, again, I'd love to see assessments that are done that are so practical in nature, formative and summatively, you know, so that we will know, just like she talked about diagnostic type of assessments, all of that's so necessary because, Unfortunately, we're in a society, we're in um, communities, school communities, where people are looking at not the, what I call the in-between, they're looking at the end result. And many times that end result is very superficial. You know, what I've seen oftentimes is that if if a if a child is making in the 90s to 100 there is no um type of concern for that child they're doing well but they're not looking at are they truly learning are they understanding and then you have the children that are C and below still that child has issues, has challenges, there's a community in a school that may want to help these children. But because of what the guidelines are with the state, the type of curriculums, whatever it is, it's like there is a deadbolt that's there that needs to be worked out because so many times there are programs that are wiped away or curriculums that are wiped away because of some type of popular legislation. And I I just believe that there needs to be, even still, I go back, I guess, more to that um, component of the old school relational type of thing to really Mm -hmm. get into the nuts and bolts to understand what's really, really happening. Because we have to be able to assess students really, um, 
I believe we need to be able to assess them on a monthly basis because there's so much that's being lost right now on a day-to-day basis. Hmm. That's good, Minister Margo. Um, again, my heart goes out. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm screaming in the inside because um, whew, this, this, this is crucial. Um, again, our children are our future. So, um, Jamie, as you've heard from the special ed, the retired special ed teacher, um, Minister Margo, who's still in the classroom, um, Caprice, who was who was in the school, um, and they're talking to you about the need for testing. I mean, what 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 is your thought process now that you're hearing them, you know, bearing their hearts because they're in here battling this. This is on on a battlefield on a daily basis. So, you know what. What is your thought process now that you're hearing um, the plea for that we do need these tests? So let me be clear. I think we need the the, the diagnostic testing. Is that correct, ladies? Correct. Diagnostic testing yes. for so that we can find appropriate interventions because right now we have generalized interventions and mm-hmm. these things are not one size fits all and that's Correct. what we're going yeah. to be off of. So we're just continuing yeah. to compare apples to oranges and saying this child needs help but we're still going to compare them to where they should be and that that's impossible to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So so what I would say from where I sit on the board is as these – this is good information to have. As we have these conversations um, with our superintendent and the top administration uh, cabinet um, staff persons, uh, I'll be sure to bring this uh, to the forefront. I've been taking notes um, as I've been uh, listening to um, everybody uh, on tonight. And so we want to make sure that we continue to um, put in strategies to support you all uh, particularly in special ed, and to support growth um, in literacy. I think one of the ladies mentioned literacy earlier, so I think that is so important because literacy is in everything that we do from reading to writing to math. Um, and so mm-hmm. I want to make sure that we continue that and whatever their needs are, that their needs are heard and that the resources get down to where it is needed in the classroom. Uh, yeah. You know, we get the reports from the superintendent and from senior level staff, and um, I'm sure that it it, it reaches um, from the bottom up to us. And that I would say, I've been on my board 13 years. 95 to 98 percent of the time, we've agreed with our superintendent um, on what things needed to be done um, uh, for our staff, and because we hold him accountable, because. As, and, and I don't know if you know this, just kind of get into the mechanics of school boarding 101, but we have one employee, and that is the superintendent. And then he or she, depending on what district you're in, um, will oversee the remaining uh, X amount of uh, staff persons across across the school district. So we hold him or her accountable to ensure that they get us the correct and reliable data-driven uh, information to ensure that we get the best uh, to our staff wherever it's needed so that our students can continue to learn. Again, I stand on this. Programs don't teach. People teach, and people reach teacher, reach people by relationship. And I think Minister Margot said it earlier. Um, if you have a 
engaged um, and willing teacher and you have an engaged, willing student, you will see learning happen uh, in the classroom. And then, and then, of course, it goes back to that social-emotional learning. If the child isn't learning, what is the root cause? What is causing that child not to learn? You know, and, and we deal with that, you know, on a daily basis, and you all in the classroom deal with that as well. So I commend you and I appreciate you for what you do to ensure that um, all of our students get the right um, um, information that they need and, of course, to our parents that they get the correct information, particularly as it pertains to uh, special ed. And honestly, I have a sister who is a uh, special ed teacher as well here in Richmond One, and so she and I talk often about this subject. So um, I, I truly, truly understand uh, that as well. Well, Jamie, let me, let me ask a question too, because mm -hmm. this is something that I hear from time to time mm -hmm. um, from different teachers. What are we doing? to make sure that the teachers' voices are being heard. Because even though you're holding the superintendent accountable, right, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. how much honest dialogue is he really getting from the teachers? Because you have some teachers that feel like um, there will be some repercussions if they speak up about what is going on in their particular schools. Because mm -hmm. here's the thing, you know, our children are our precious cargo, but so are the mm -hmm. teachers. And if the teachers cannot perform the way that they need to or they cannot openly discuss without fear of some type of backlash coming at them because they're trying to get their point of view to the principal or if, say, if the principal is the roadblock, bypass that or if there is an issue to where the teachers feel that the school boards are not hearing them, how do we safely allow the teachers to communicate their views, their issues, without some type of repercussion falling back on them? Because I, I really believe that, and this is just from some of the different friends that I have and um, family members that are actually teachers as, as well, that a lot of them are in fear of this that there is going to be some type of repercussion if they come to the school board or if they bypass that principle to try to get what they need or to, con to convey it. So a couple things come to mind as you were asking that question. I appreciate that question. Um, um, so I've heard the same, and one thing that I've mentioned to um, several of our staff is that we um, is that have you spoken to your supervisor, whether it's the principal, the assistant principal, the CRT in the school? Have you gone to the executive director? Have you gone to um, to the deputy superintendent or chief of staff in our case? And then have you spoken with the superintendent? Um, you know, kind of follow the chain of command. That's number one. Number two, um, this was actually mentioned in a, in a school board meeting a couple of weeks ago, and so the question to the superintendent was, tell me a, a, a teacher or a staff person who has been, um, who has been, who's, who's received any type of backlash, if, if you will, um, from, from anyone in the district, and the, the board member could not say that anyone did. And so I think there is this um, created, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, maybe created fear that something could happen if they spoke out. I know a number of principals who do speak out. Um, we have, well, not we, but I know our superintendent has principal meetings 
I know he meets with the teacher uh, of the year, the classified uh, person of the year. Um, he meets with um, various uh, constituent groups um, throughout the district, uh, whether it is teachers. Uh, and sometimes, as you know, people have relationships. I have a relationship with several teachers, and I hear mm -hmm. some of the same thing, and I said, well, tell me a time that someone has been retaliated against and no one can tell share that with, with, with me. So I don't know where that's coming from, but I like to dispel that and that, you know, people email people. Like, I'll, I'll get a text, hey, this is going on in this particular school. Can y'all look into it? Mm -hmm. We have to give it to the superintendent because we don't deal with the day-to-day -day operations of the organization. That's where the superintendent and his staff comes in. After a couple of days or a couple of weeks, depending on what the issue is, then we'll call him back, call him back or, or her if you've got a female a superintendent, and say, hey, mm -hmm. what was the outcome of this particular situation? And they will provide it to us. And I would say majority of the time, those situations do get resolved, and, and teachers are being heard. Um, across the state. I will tell you, um, uh, SC for Ed uh, made a big splash a couple of years ago um, on the scene. Um, we've had SCEA and we had uh, Palmetto um, State Teachers Association um, as well. Uh, I think teachers and staff, educators in general, are getting uh, being heard a lot more um, across the state as well as in local school districts. Um, and so what we do as a board is we ask the superintendent, again, to meet with these various constituencies within the organization, uh, again, whether it's his cabinet, whether his executive directors, whether it's with the principals, whether it's with the certified staff, whether it's with the bus drivers. I know he meets with the bus drivers a couple times a year. Um, he meets with uh, the custodial staff um, a couple times a year. Uh, when I was the board chair a couple of years ago in 19 and 20, we met with um, with our food services staff just to hear what they had to say uh, because all of these constituencies within the organization play a vital role in order to make the organization work. And so as a board member, um, we always listen. Um, person can always contact us and let us know their 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 thoughts and their um, um, the desires as to what needs to happen in education. And again, as I advocate, uh, not just in Richmond one, but on the state level, again, um, SCEA, uh, SC for Ed, and those other groups also are there with us, even along with, along with the Department of Education. But teachers can always come to us. Um, this, I know our board has been very supportive of the superintendent and of the administrative staff and of, and of teachers as well. And so I would say that we do a uh, – uh, a pretty decent job, pretty good job at listening to our staff. Now, will, mm -hmm. will you get everything that you won't? No, but do we listen? Mm -hmm. Yes. And some of it is budget constraints. Uh, now we mm -hmm. have funding, but we have to be careful, again, how we spend the money. There are 17 buckets in which to spend it. I don't know what the 17 are, but appropriate staff does. And so, again, we will always support our, our staff. One thing that we heard was, uh, and I'll share this with, with you, is, uh, a number of teachers wanted um, some type of a bonus. We gave a bonus just before Christmas um, this past year, I think of $500, net $500 that our staff uh, across the board got. So that went to every um, educator uh, in Richmond School District 1. Um, mm -hmm. Other 
districts across the state have done the same based on their allocation and what they can afford. And we know it's been a tough year for everybody, and we appreciate, again, the hard work of our teachers, of our staff, of all our educators, from the bus driver um, to the custodian to the cafeteria worker to, um, to the IAs that make it happen um, um, in the classrooms, to our uh, paraprofessionals, our mental health uh, professionals, school psychologists, everybody who is a part of the team that makes the entire organization work. So we do listen. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I will tell you this, uh, risk number one, we have a thing called Chat with the Chair where uh, we meet with students um, on a uh, monthly basis or semi-monthly basis and even hear from our students as well. We say, hey, give us about 10 to 15 of your students uh, we don't want the high flyers. We don't want necessarily the low flyers. We don't necessarily want the average. We won't just mix it all, all up because every student represents a different demographic of the school. And so we meet with those students, and we hear what the students have to say, too, along with the staff. So it's a combination of, of everybody. Uh, COVID has uh, slowed us down, hasn't stopped us. COVID has slowed us down on how we deal with uh, talking with our different constituencies within the school system. Okay. Now, um, Jamie, this is another one that I know that has been um, a topic of discussion lately. Um, and this is, I'm trying to see how to really, so, okay, with situations that we have, and we know that everybody has life situations that may occur that a person may have to temporarily leave um, from teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that they are under contract. So mm -hmm. if a person has to leave while they're under a contract, what what happens with, and I don't know, like, I don't know if this is something that each district um, has their choice as to how they handle this, but if you have a teacher that leaves in the middle of a contract, is there some type of consequences to their license? Um, or is this just handled case by case? Or is, is there some type of overall law across the state of South Carolina? Because I know we're trying to retain teachers, and Lord knows we need to. Correct. But, you know, in, a, in an instance like this, what, what happens? So each, so each circumstance um, uh, does, does vary. It's on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, there is a uh, proposed state law. Um, I think it's Senate Bill 348 and House Bill 3246 that um, – will prevent districts from imposing restraints on teachers who terminate their contracts at any time. So in other words, what happens typically is um, Ms. Little comes to Richmond School District 1. She signs her contract May 15th, saying that she's going to start work in the new school year after July 1, so say August 15th or whatever, the new school year signs. It is a contract. It is a, a legal document that says you will work for this organization or this school district for 180 days, and here are the things that happen within that within that uh, within the contractual matter. Uh, I mean, within the contract. So that is a legal binding document. And so everybody knows that teachers sign that every year. Now, if for some reason, uh, say you um, your husband moved away military, y'all had to go to another state or another you know country or whatever. Um, I'm sure that school districts will work with someone uh, in that perspective. Let's say you got another job in a surrounding district. I'm in Richmond 1, and I got a, 
a promotion in Richland too, um, mm-hmm. most likely uh, nothing would happen to that person's contract. But then okay. let's give a third scenario. If Jamie came um, to sign a contract, said, yes, I'm coming back in 2022-23 school year to work, but he just didn't show up. No excuse, no nothing. We heard nothing from him. Typically, our staff will send one a, a regular uh, a regular letter via via mail, and we typically send two um, certified green card receipt return uh, green card uh, to the home. If mm-hmm. at, at the last known address, if the person does not sign for it, most time people do sign sign, sign for it. Um, it may come before the school board. Now, there is a state law, and I don't have the law in front of me, but I believe it is um, uh, state law either um, is a regulation either 160 or 58.1 where it says the school board shall uh, terminate uh, a contract based off of these uh, different uh, scenarios. And, and, and there are lists of what, what they are. I don't have it in front of me, but um, okay. I can give it for, for you. But there are some things that we shall do. Shall means that you must do. That's state, state mm-hmm. law. And, and we've heard these same um, 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 thoughts from some other, some, some other uh, teachers as well. And, you know, it is a case-by-case basis. Again, right. you know, if, if, if someone, you know, leaves for a, a reason, um, that is uh, that the district think is 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 reasonable. Nothing will happen. We still have to report it to the state. Now it's up to the state to suspend the license for up to one year. Now mm-hmm. at that time, you still can um, go and um, um, defend, if you for lack of a better better word, you still can go and 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 defend against your license being suspended for that one year. And the suspension is only for one year. So once that one year's up, that one year's up, then you can go back and, and, and your license is re- reinstated um, going forward. Um, but I've heard that also from uh, others in the education community. And so uh, there is a word that says shall um, submit. Uh, so that means it is required that we must do it. I think it's 58.1 in the regulation, or either 58.1-160. Because um, that came up recently at one of our school board meetings, and so doing just some preliminary right. research, it it talks to that that there are reasons that we shall submit those um, um, uh, contracts to the state department. We don't. So let me be clear: the district does not suspend the license; only the state department suspends the license because the license is through the Sacramento Department of Education. Okay, so then you guys, you guys, the district does not say, okay, well, we're suspending this person's license. You're saying Correct. that we, we make the recommendation and we okay. send it up. So if y'all make like, okay, so y'all may make the recommendation that that particular person's license may need to be suspended. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. I wish I had that. Um, that's an excellent question because. That has come up several times. I wish I had the information um, in front of me. Um, that that is a that's an excellent question. But it's uh, I, I know it's dealing with um, it's it's a it's a state regulation, and I shared this with someone else that if if uh, if the if the state would relax that, then we will we won't necessarily have to 
to do that, we have to follow state law and what state state law says. That's not something that Richmond One made up or, you know, the local district made, but that is something that has been state law for a number of years now. Okay. Okay. Um, I want to ask another question that um, that is really important as well, um, and this is just me. Um, th- I, I don't feel like there's not one child that gets up in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to school and I'm just going to be an awful student today. I feel like, as we've stated, that there are root causes. It could be the conditions, their living conditions, um, some things that's going on at home. However, um, there are kids that's being expelled. So I want to know, you know, what's your, what's your take on addressing the amount of kids being expelled from school and retention. So, again, prior to COVID, uh, Richland One um, held uh, several sessions where we talked about our student code. And we changed our student code because we knew of the uh, trauma-informed practices that we had and where we wanted to go as an organization. And so we said that we would work with our students, again, get to the root cause. You know, did the child not eat that morning? Does the child have vision uh, problems? Does the child have, you know, a cavity in their tooth? Um, Is there something happening at the home, therefore the child is acting out when he gets around his friends in school? Um, So, again, we need to look at those root causes of why students do what they do. Um, And so I know there have been some times when, you know, we've been asked, Uh, or it's been said to us, you know, you all don't suspend students um, based off of a particular incident that happened. Well, that's a um, school-based decision, whether it's level Mm -hmm. one, level two, or level three. So the school gets to make that decision because the school may say, well, you know what, Jamie did mess up. It's his first time. We're going to work with him. He may be put in some type of intervention program or mentorship program within the school to ensure that he continues to to do better, and he may he and his parent may sign a contract, therefore you may see him back at school the next day or you know the next couple of days. He may get three days versus ten days, or may get five days versus you know uh, versus an, an expulsion. But we want to make sure that all of our students are in school in a learning environment. Now, federal law says if a child brings a gun to school, automatic three hundred sixty-five days suspension. Can't get around that. That's the federal law. Um, now, if the child does, uh, you know, we've had a number of fights across uh, Richland 1, across the across the Midlands, and across the state, and really across the country. And we've seen an um, increase in uh, fights, and we know that is coming from the pandemic. A lot of our students have, have been home uh, by themselves. Um, some may be on, uh, playing video games. Some may have got into some uh, things that they probably should not have. And so we know we need to work with our young people, and we know that what we went through as adults during that time, think about children. Children are still human. They went through Mm -hmm. some stuff. Yes, kids are resilient, but they're still human. Mm -hmm. So some of these young people don't know how to handle adversity. Think about this, and one of the principals told me this, Mr. Devine, uh, we have students who are in the ninth grade, who are in the eighth grade. They were sixth graders when they came, so they're still thinking like sixth graders, if you will. 
or we had students who were in middle school, now they're in high school, so they're still thinking like a middle schooler. And so we have to gradually get them to where they need to be. Um, and I was reading, um, I don't know, it was, uh, excuse me, in preparation for today, I was reading about the Surgeon General. The U.S. Surgeon General issued advisory on youth mental health crisis um, exposed by COVID-19. No, he said this is a mental health um, crisis. And so, again, we knowing this, we have to work with our schools to ensure uh, that our students get the services, the wraparound services that they need. So, Jamie comes through hungry, let's feed him. That's why we have free lunch, free breakfast here in Richland 1, because we know that a lot of times a lot of our students don't get fed uh, at their various um, homes. So we said, okay, so we mitigate that, all right? Jamie's acting out because he needs vision or eye, I mean vision or, or dental services. We provide that through a provider that the district pays for, for, for that service here in Richmond School, School District 1. So we provide dental as well as uh, dental, dental as well as vision um, benefits to our students. Um, now, if a student comes to school uh, and just you know, want to act out, again, what is the root cause of why, of why the student is acting out? Why is that behavior um, all of a sudden escalated to the point where he or she cannot control him or herself? Let's find that, that out. So we continue to work with our students. We continue to work with our staff as well so that they can help our teachers because a lot of our teachers are frustrated because they know that some of our students um, – uh, need to be in a, maybe in another program or another setting. And so we provide another setting for our students. Uh, we have a thing in Richmond one called Reset, where our students would go off for a couple of days. They're still in a, an educational environment uh, within the district, and we'll teach them, for lack of a better word, reading, writing, arithmetic, but we also would teach them about self-control, about anger management. Mm -hmm. How do we continue? How do you work through a problem or a situation so it doesn't escalate to the point where you're just out of control and just whatever happens just sort of kind of happens. So those are some mitigating strategies that, that we've done uh, at, a, at a district level. Okay. Um, Minister Margot, I want to give you an opportunity to speak. Yes. I, I agree with uh, Mr. Devine with all of what he said because the truth of the matter, we have to know what is the root cause of the behavior problems because they have skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes it's health problems. I mean, I have had students, I had a student last year who lost his dad two days before school started, mm -hmm. and it was sudden death, and the child was acting out. The um, No one told anyone at the school mm. that his father had suddenly passed away. Mm. And I emailed the mother and my nature is how can I help this child before they hurt themselves? And mm -hmm. so I emailed the mom and said, you know, I would love to know how to help your son. So if you can give me any suggestions on how to do this, I don't want to see him fail, please let me know. She emailed me back within 10 minutes and said, sorry, but he's a different person. He lost his father. And she went into detail, and I called her, and I contacted the guidance office to let them know because they had no idea. Well, the issue is 
they were from a different culture, and the mother really did not understand the importance of alerting the school about, you know, about what had happened. Wow. And so, you know, I've I've seen children that have um, moved here where they've come from another country, they've come from another city for various reasons. You know, um, some families are on the run, to be honest, you know, Mm -hmm. and the children, there's some type of family or legal situation where their identity is being protected. There's all sorts of things that go on that really um, are the underlying issue why this child is behaving the way that they are. Now, for me, I believe that if the schools, if the state would make sure that the schools had enough mental health counseling Mm -hmm. that could really, and I say abide with the students, because what's happening right now, everyone's hands are full. You know, if I send, if I talk to a student and realize they need to go to the guidance office, they're going to go to the guidance office, but they're coming back to class. And some of these children need to be able to spend some time with a therapist that's going to help them outside of that classroom so that they can be more successful in the classroom. And, you know, unfortunately, there are some students that all of these reasons for bad behavior it's not the case. And we also have to look at that, you know, because it is not just that, you know, children are unable to um, handle themselves or understand. On the reverse, there are some that do know exactly what they're doing. And we have to be sensitive and be honest about all of that because, Where I'm challenged is in situations where we have children that are acting out because there is no accountability once they leave the school. Mm -hmm. And then there there are children who are acting out and know fully what they're doing because these behaviors have become almost acceptable because they know that there's not very much consequence to certain types of behavior. Because I've had students tell me, I don't care about, you know, getting suspended. I don't care about doing this. I don't care about doing that because they can't do anything but, and they can tell you how far it's going to go. And so we have to, I believe, consider all factors And, Mr. Devine, I thank you so much for your excellence in what you're doing. And I say this sincerely because some of the things that you've talked about, if every school board would do some of the things, occupy some of the, most of the measures that you spoke about, I think that that would be an awesome way to truly go back to the first question, how do we bridge this gap? Because there are people who have opinions who may not be in a high seat. And those opinions need to be heard. There's wisdom that comes from people. Now, I I went into education 
And this is like the third or fourth thing I've done. It's one of those things, you know, how you have a, a checklist. I'm going to do this before I die. Well, this is one of those things I'm going to do right. because I love education. I love seeing people grow and learn. It's important to me. I'm a lifelong learner. But there are people who have spent 30 years, 25 years in the classroom who have so much wisdom, but their voices are not heard because they don't get the opportunity. And when I say they don't get the opportunity, it goes back to your previous conversation. There are some people who are, they are intimidated. And even in your, with your sincere nature, if you were to ask certain teachers, what is the issue? Why won't they bring something, you know, to their administrators or to their superintendent or to their board, they still would not tell you. Right. Simply because they, teachers live in this world that is, um, I'll say it like this, they recognize that there's so much going on and our society has changed in such a way that the the teacher who has been there for, say, for instance, 20 years or more, they feel so disrespected by our community mm-hmm. because there was a time that the, the field of education, at least in the classroom, the classroom teachers, there was a, another level of respect that was given them. Mm-hmm. But it, it has gotten to be to where there's an attitude that is adversarial between the the parent, the child, and then the teacher. And these are things that need to truly be dealt with because when 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 children and parents can feel confident that there is a particular way that they can handle their teachers to get what they want. That's the problem. And and this is going on all over the state of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and, I will, and I will add in the, in the, in the, in the country too. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're not being respected. So somewhere, I believe it goes back to, because you can't find more educated people than in, in the school buildings, you know, but, no matter how much education we as educators have, there is, it's almost as if the level of respect is diminishing, and it's due to something that, that, that's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you guys, man, it's like we need more time. I've gotten a couple of texts that say, hey, we need a part two. Um, wow. Um, yeah, but oh. yeah, well, let me say this, and definitely you can, um, Mr. Devine. Um, we 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 definitely have to continue dialogues like this, um, and then not only just have the dialogue, but we we need some action behind it. So, you know, Mr. Devine, I thank you. Uh, I heard you when you said that you were taking notes um, because it's important that from this dialogue, which you're gathering the information, and that you can take it back and. Um, make a difference. Um, so I'm gonna let you go ahead and, and add in what you need to add, and then we're gonna go around the panel real quick um, to close out, and then we're gonna be back because this whole month is gonna be dedicated to um, the state of the education system. 
Thank you. Uh, just real quick, obviously, uh, folk are listening. Uh, two, two, two of my superintendent friends uh, just responded in regards to teacher voice and uh, teacher um, feedback. Uh, mm-hmm. And I forgot about this. We, we at Richmond One, we do surveys. Uh, we mm-hmm. survey our, our staff, we survey our students, and we survey our community. And so we hear back from all constituents as to what are we doing good, what are those things that we can improve upon, and then what do you see, you know, in the future. And, again, mm-hmm. I always follow the chain of command, whether it's to the um, – it's to the um, – it's to your it's to your principal – your executive director of schools, your deputy superintendent, or to the superintendent, then to the board member. Um, also, you know, when we make curriculum d- decisions, that comes from directly from teachers. Um, and they're on the front end of that discussion. Um, and, again, their feedback is always part of the process. I, so in Richmond 1, we have three different committees. I serve as chair of the Curriculum and Instruction Committee, and I can tell you anytime something's brought to our committee, they know mm-hmm. my first question is, have we talked with staff? Have we talked with teachers? Are they endorsing or, or have they, uh, how do they feel about this new program or new whatever it is that we're bringing to our district? Because um, we know it takes about three to five years to really implement a program and, and to get it going. But I go back to it's not the program, it's the people that make the, the, make, that make the relationship happen every day uh, with our students. So that's the only piece I want to add. So thank you. Great, great, great. Um, Mrs. White, give us some closing remarks for this particular segment. I am grateful that you guys gave me this platform. This is my first time doing something like this and actually expressing my thoughts to the public as far as my perspective as a school psychologist. So thank you. Mr. Devine, thank you so much for answering some of my questions. Um, and then also, Ms. Margot Williams, I just want to say thank you for being honest as a teacher because now you're, you have me reflecting on some things that I could bring to the table as far as when we get into these team meetings. So thank you. Yes. Oh, man. Thank you. This has made my heart happy because this is what it's about, having a conversation, and everybody has a takeaway that, you know, hey, I can take this away now, I can take it somewhere else and begin to try to make a difference. Um, Minister Margo, do you have anything you want to close out with? I do. I just want to say that, you know, education is one of those forces that we cannot live without. Mm -hmm. And when we have people who truly have a heart for the product, which are the children, Mm -hmm. becoming responsible adults who are excellent Mm -hmm. citizens. When we keep that before us, I think that many of our decisions, many of our um, attitudes and thoughts will change. Our conversations will change Mm -hmm. because they truly are the future, and we have to truly deal with the future today. That's right. Amen. Amen. Jamie, I know you just said some things. I don't know if you want to add anything else real quick before we, um, before I say what I need to say and we wrap up. You have anything else you want to add? So three quick things, and I'll shut up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the state of education in South Carolina, this is my opinion, is one of continuous improvement. 
Mm-hmm. We should be better than we were a year, two, three ago, and we should be better tomorrow than where we are on today. So mm-hmm. if you ask me to say the education in South Carolina, I would say it is one of continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's number one. Number two, this is this is National School Board Recognition Month, so thank you for having me on on here. Uh, you know, we'll recognize school board members across the state of South Carolina, really across the country. January is National School Board Recognition Month. Each, each, I did not uh, know that. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was ironic when you asked me. And I said, I wanted that. It's the reason why she asked me. But it's all good. So right. we're going to leave it there. That is School Board Recognition recognition month so thank mm-hmm. you again for having me you know school board members come 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 across from all walks of life you know lawyers doctors secretaries farmers architects professionals business owners real estate agents teachers um to name a few and so again i appreciate the time that our that my fellow school board members put in collectively across the state of south carolina um minister margo said it well as well as miss white we're here for the students. That mm-hmm. is our main goal because, as Percy Mack, our former superintendent, said, I don't want to be lying on the table and a student walks up to me and you, and you think about how did I treat this child. If you treat everybody the same, you treat everybody right, you don't have to worry about the future. Yeah. Because it's going to be bright because you treated mm-hmm. that child right. So Exactly. I just say thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, you're welcome. Um, you guys, I thank you. Um, this has been an awesome start to the new year. Um, this has been an awesome start to the month of January where we're going to continue to deal with education. Um, I ask that you guys join us back next week, Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we will have um, – Keisha Pearson as our guest. Keisha is a lecturer of education. Um, she's a professor of education and college supervisor of teacher candidates. Um, so this is going to be really good as well um, because she is a huge part of um, the teacher's foundation. Um, and so I ask you guys, please join us back next week. We have to continue to have um, this, this, this dialogue. So this is Pressure Points Unpack, and I'm your host, Tyra Little, and I will see you guys back on next Tuesday. It's already done. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.